Welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast from Fund Calibre. I'm Darius McDermott and I'm really delighted to be joined by my friend Henry Dixon from the Man GLG Undervalued Asset Funds and Man GLG UK Income Funds, both of which are elite rated by Fund Calibre. Henry, we've known each other a long time and you know, you've always promoted yourself as a value manager. Um, but value's been out of favour for a long time, yet you've still managed to do pretty well, um, particularly on the income fund, which has, you know, sort of been very top quartile since you took it over. How so? Um, well, thank you, Darius. Um, look, yeah, we definitely do portray ourselves as value managers, but we're not just value managers. And we definitely want to be very aware of a quality factor that is a very strong balance sheet as defined by modest gearing and indeed in many cases net cash. And then further to that, we also concentrate on an element of momentum, specifically earnings momentum. And we hope, therefore, that if we do at the outset have value, but we can complement it with a good balance sheet and also earnings momentum, then in many instances we can screen out um, some of the value traps that have been so damaging these last few years. And just boiling it down to, I think, the very simple conclusion, we really do feel if we can get a cheap portfolio together at outset with a great balance sheet where earnings can grow, then we have a really strong possibility of outperforming. And I presume you don't have hard and fast balance sheet rules. It's company dependent or sector dependent. How do you decide when a company's got too much debt or or actually needs to be net positive? Yeah, great question. I think firstly, you would look at companies versus a long run history. Um, And then you can also come up with a lot of other measures around their financial stability, which might be margins relative to long run, for example. But at the end of the day, I think we'd love to keep talking about what we call the balance sheet option. And if companies are net cash, we find in so many instances they have the ability to basically redefine their prospects relative to maybe the wider economy. That might be doing a very attractive infill deal, might also be a buyback if times are difficult and their share price is low, and then also repeatedly growing their dividend, which is also usually very well rewarded. So we keep trying to come back to companies that have that balance sheet option. Now, you're a UK equity fund manager, um, but you can go off-piste, so to speak, and invest in um, equities outside of a UK listing. How often do you tend to do that? And have you got a recent example of one that is either in the portfolio today or working or not? Yeah, so it's it's pretty rare. We wouldn't want this to get to more than 10% of the fund. Our rule book for investing in Europe, and it is only Europe for us, so we'd like to have comparable examples across maybe Europe and the UK that we can compare. And the only reason we'd invest in a European company over a UK company is if we think it is providing us something from a valuation perspective that we cannot get in the UK. So maybe if I rewind a year and I give you an example of two pharmaceutical companies, one is AstraZeneca, which I think will be known well by UK investors, and then one I think will probably also be reasonably well known but a European listed specifically Swiss listed which would be Roche but a year ago Roche was on 14 times with a balance sheet transitioning towards net cash AstraZeneca was on over 20 times with a balance sheet that kept seeing its debt pile continue to grow so I hope very clearly their investors can see that we felt we got a valuation leg up and a balance sheet leg up by visiting the European company and not the UK company so it's all really in, in the quest of improving the metrics within our fund to find better value and better balance sheets in Europe. Uh, And with respect particularly then to the income fund, you allow yourself a little flexibility again from time to time to actually buy a company's bond. Um, 
Could you outline what set of circumstances that, that you look at the bond and again um, give us an example of the type of bond that, that, that you have had in the portfolio? Yeah. So our checklist for being in a bond is threefold. We must have that listed equity that we can analyse. We must be of the view that we think there is equity value in that equity issuer. And the final and the most important point is we must be able to express that view of equity value by going up the capital structure with more safety, if you like, as you go up the capital structure into the bonds relative to the equity. But critically, we can't just accept an attractive running yield from a coupon. What we also want to have is attractive capital upside as well. So we do get alerted when UK listed PLCs, their, their bonds fall below 90p in the pound because if that bond can transition back to par, then we have that lovely double-edged sword of attractive capital upside and also income. An example that I'll give you, which we wrote to investors, which are probably two years ago, would have been prudential bonds, but there was a very sort of localised event, particularly in the financial portion of the bond market, whereby we'd had rate rises at the start of 2018, we'd had fears over the Italian budget, um, and there was also quite a localised event in the market with regards to some uh, a fund in, uh, in liquidation mode, a GAM, for example. So this confluence of those events did take... So it was making the bond market less attractive and then hence the yield and the capital upside more attractive. Exactly right. So yeah, you, so you can respond to those types of opportunities and hopefully be quite front-footed as a, as a value manager. So the bonds that we... Um, um, invested in at that point in time would be prudential bonds. They were trading slightly below 80p in the pound. And about 18 months later, those trashing transitioned back from sort of high 70s, 80s towards par. So very attractive 25-30% total return. And then also the running yield was approaching 6% as well. So it looked like a fabulous combination of risk-adjusted return and good yield to us. And how often have you used bonds as a rough percentage of the fund, the income fund specifically, since, since you took it over? Yeah, there have been two moments where we've had found quite a bit of opportunity in the bond market. And at those points in time, the bond weighting has typically got to about 6 to 8%. And the two moments specifically where we, we found quite a bit of opportunity in the bond market would have been in 2016 in the wake of uh, fears around the oil market, for example, yeah. some quite well uh, some quite well oil companies, uh, quite well known oil companies. Um, lots of their bonds got to 70p in the pound. For example, we might reference Tullow Oil, uh, for example, um, where we saw an amount of equity value, but not enough to encourage us to own the equity. But we definitely felt confident in buying into the bonds. And then the second period of time was that confluence event I just mentioned with regards to financials in the middle of 18, which was rate rises in America, concerns around the Italian budget, and a more localised event in the UK bond market. Now, we know that the yield on the UK stock market is at a you know, very handsome level versus A, its own history, but also against the government bond. And your fund is on a premium yield yet again to that and sort of in around the four, five, five and a half region. That seems high. Um, how quite so high? And is that sustainable? Um, so from our perspective, we definitely feel that a really good process for an income fund is to grow its yield every year. I don't think it needs to grow a huge amount, but we definitely target that sort of 5% dividend growth every year. So that's dividend growth 
Um, so on top of the exactly actual right. headline you know, headline rate as we, we, we have today. Yeah, and given the market move that we've just seen recently, yeah, you know, the yield is now starting to bear down on the best part of 6%. But we absolutely think that as active managers, you have that ability to rotate out of situations where the yield has fallen and you've, you've, you've harvested some quite good capital upside. So, for example, we've definitely seen some of our real estate names over the last 18 months really start to migrate up. Uh, much more towards fair value, so yields have normalised from that six percent to nearer sort of three and a half, four percent, and then you use that capital to pick up other areas that you're currently seeing some opportunities. So, for example, we'll come on to a couple of examples, I'm sure, but things yeah. like food retail where yields are nearer seven. So that is that constant active approach. I think of really you know moving capital out of those areas that have done well, being brave in the areas that have done badly, and then from that perspective with an active approach, I think we are in the bit of, do have the ability to grow our dividend when overall it's increasingly the case that the overall dividend growth of the market is becoming more anemic. Well, it's as if we had practised this, Henry, because that leads me absolutely into our next question, which is the view for the outlook for UK PLC, or the, you know, the FTSE 100, the FTSE 350, because it has had this premium market. How does dividend cover look? Um, are you worried? Are you seeing so much choice? What's going on? Yeah, so currently we've got Dividend cover will definitely be below two. It'll be about that 1.8 level. A long run average for dividend cover is definitely above two. So we're definitely 20% below a long run average. And then combine that um, net debt within the market has also grown quite consistently since the crisis on where debt is cheap. But as I say, we're always a little bit cautious if debt's going to grow consistently. Um, I don't think, therefore, there was any coincidence really that last year saw some quite notable dividend cuts, things like Vodafone, Centrica, M&S. And overall, dividend growth the market last year was very, very, very modest indeed, very early single digit. Yeah. And actually it's forecast this year to be actually slightly negative. Um, to some extent, I think sterling will play it, play its part there, given how depressed sterling got with regards to Brexit fears and general election fears towards the back end of last year. So in aggregate, I'd say the outlook for dividends growth within the UK market is not as strong one this year. So I think we've got to be, be aware that it's going to be very modest growth, if growth at all. Um, so that really brings back quite a big emphasis to us as active managers to find those opportunities where we think the balance sheets are strong, the dividends can grow. And then also with regards to price performance, we need to be responsive to the areas that have done well and rotate and be brave and rotate into those areas that have done badly. And that's the active approach. And that's absolutely the approach that we'll continue to use. Henry, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your thoughts um, on particularly the MANGLG UK Income Fund. Um, For more information, please don't forget to subscribe at fundcaliber.com. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. 